The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield on 702. Let's walk the talk. On 92.7 and 106 FM. This is The Money Show. It is brought to you by APSA CIB, driving impactful action-led insights through the Insights series. APSA is a registered FSP. Welcome to The Money Show on this Friday evening, on a day where we look back at a week and what a week it has been, full of trials and tribulations and great difficulties. Of course, the uh, danger to life and limb in the Middle East has been front and center of the main news agenda all week. But its consequences playing out in financial markets on this Friday afternoon, particularly with a rally in the gold price, over $1,920 an ounce once again, makes it its strongest performance in about seven months. Global insecurity is a very strong driver of the gold price. Gold sentiment as investors go into the weekend, unsure as to what Israel's next move will be. They've been warning this week that they will be doing a land invasion of Gaza um, after destroying buildings and blocking roads and telling people of Gaza that they need to get out of town. Not too sure where they're expected to go. Nevertheless, um, that invasion could very well happen this weekend. That's what the markets are betting on. And that's why oil has also rocketed up to nearly $90 a barrel this afternoon. That has had its huge impact on markets and on investments and on the value of your money. We'll talk about that on The Money Show this evening. Uh, we'll also talk about African Bank. It's done a third acquisition in about 18 months. It's a little bit like somebody who's going to a Mr. or Ms. Universe competition um, and is bulking up and ready to do so. Let's find out the strategy behind that this evening. Also tonight, uh, we will talk to uh, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, he's an accountant, I, th- I think is probably the best way, an audit partner, that's what we, is the best way of putting it. Siabonga Mtembu, he's on the line to us from Kabercha tonight. What happens if transit fails? And these, this is deadly serious stuff. Um, we're going to be talking about Transnet. We're going to be talking about the consequences of zero Transnet in a world where we're becoming less and less dependent on Transnet. Uh, we'll go spirit hunting in the Easter, in the Eastern Cape this evening. We'll play the Brutal Biz Quiz and bring you some of the best bits from the week that has been on The Money Show, including a fabulous discussion with Paul Nixon. Paul Nixon is the head of um, behavioral finance and uh, behavioral economics at Momentum Investments. And I just loved the real life application of his understanding, his knowledge, his studies, all of the things that make investing nowadays so interesting is our understanding of behavioral economics, the understanding of what makes humans do what they do when things get tough. And when things got tough for Paul Nixon and for his wife in a business venture as COVID struck, I was curious as to how he responded. Did he bring to the front of his cerebral cortex, the front of mind, say, you know what, there's no need to panic. I understand behavioral economics. Or did he fall into the trap that all of us would have fallen into at the time? That is panic. We'll talk about that. We'll reflect on it this evening also in our best bits here on the Friday evening edition of The Money Show. The Money Show. With Bruce Whitfield on 702. 702. Well, a third deal today in about 18 months by the, it is, state-controlled African Bank. It's bought the commercial equipment finance as well as the property finance divisions of SASFIN. 
And that's on top of its acquisition of Grindrod Bank and U-Bank deals announced since April last year. It's hard to believe that it's been in curatorship since, what, 2014 and in business rescue and in turnaround since 2014. Remember, Leon Kirkinis ran a micro lender. Uh, things went awry for the micro lender. It was taken into curatorship. And now the Reserve Bank owns half the shares. The government pensioners owned about 25% by the Government Employees Pension Fund. Zweli Mnyati is the African Bank Group Executive of Business Banking. Uh, and it's all part, I think, uh, Zweli, as a, a look at the sort of reinvigoration and the rebuilding and the reconstruction of African Bank, uh, reconstruction of a bank that should be ready to return to market and allow certainly the South African Reserve Bank, which doesn't is not in the business of holding shares in banks, to be able to divest and possibly a listing on the JSE within, what, 18 months from now? Good evening, Bruce. Uh, thank you for having me. Yes, uh, that is indeed our intention to make sure that uh, we build a business in such a manner that it becomes a listable proposition. And um, there is uh, there are plans afoot uh, as we engage with uh, the shareholders to make sure that we get ready for that. A lot of people will be wondering why it's taken so long to get to a point. And by the time you get to that point, it'll be 11 years. I can't believe it's gone by so fast. <laughs> 11 years since African Bank was put into curatorship. I, I think, Bruce, uh, the road to listing requires you to shape this uh, bank differently. Uh, you referred to the period when it was uh, really a micro number. And uh, you can't really uh, avoid, you know, some accidents if you don't diversify the business, which is why we decided that, um, you know, we need to get into business banking. The transaction you're talking about uh, last year of Greenrod was indeed a platform for us to begin to get into business banking. But we didn't have all of the capabilities and solutions that we require. Hence, this now uh, transaction with uh, Saxon, um, more in, very interesting uh, uh, business in commercial equipment finance, as well as um, you know taking the commercial property finance and adding it into what we already have in Greenrod, because we've got a decent commercial uh, uh, property finance uh, unit. So we're just going to scale that up a little bit, but uh, commercial equipment finance gives us new capabilities. So we've got to make sure that uh, we've got a, a, a full set of capabilities so that we can have a different proposition for our customers. That's the rationale. Uh, and, but in the, while you're doing that and while you're building the capacity, the likes of Capitec and Time already playing there. The the mainstream banks already have got a 100-year head start in terms of business banking <laughs> as things stand. How are you building a differentiated proposition with these bolt-on acquisitions that you're making because incorporating and bringing in and dealing with cultures of different organizations from different parts and different people coming in, that's a job all on its own. Um, I, I wonder how you're going to differentiate the offering by the time you're ready to present it as a holistic offering altogether. Yeah, so, so Bruce, it is true that uh, we've got a very competitive market out there and uh, we've got players uh, who've been playing this game for a long time. But it's also true to say that uh, our experience since the, uh, since the beginning of uh, this, uh, this year 
um, has been uh, very positive. I mean, we've seen substantial growth in the number of customers that have joined us. And uh, we, as a matter of fact, now we have got such a pipeline that uh, the teams are actually battling to cope with what we've got. So it must be that the market is um, very ready to actually allow for more competition because more competition is good for customers. But insofar as... 100%. I'm delighted. I'm delighted to hear it, Zweli, because uh, you know, being being busy is a, a very clear sign that there is demand. I'm not too sure where the demand is coming from because everyone feels so bloom and depressed at the moment. But good that there is that demand. Good that there is that activity. Zweli Manyati, the African Bank Group Executive of Business Banking. Uh, good to have you this evening on the Money Show. The announcement today: the acquisition of two divisions, about three billion rand in assets. These divisions have got loans of about 3 billion rand between them, uh, commercial equipment finance business and a property finance uh, division of Sasfin. And uh, this has been folded into African Bank. Now, on top of uh, what was the acquisition last year, of course, of the, the business of Grinrod Bank and Ubank. Those deals have been announced in the last 18 months. Government Employees Pension Scheme, Pension Fund, GEPF, owns 25% of African Bank. The Reserve Bank owns 50% and a consortium of the big other five banks uh, own the the balance of the 25%. That, of course, is a hark back to the chaos and uncertainty of 2014. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield is brought to you by APSA CIB, providing action-led insights in the consumer goods and services sector to drive collaborative impact through the APSA Insights Series. APSA is a registered FSP. Provided you've got money, you can do almost anything in South Africa. You really can. Um, If you've got resources and ESCOM fails, well, you get an inverter, you get some solar panels, and you just deal with it. Schools let you down, you go to private school. Police let you down, you raise the level of your wall, you get private security. And if you're that paranoid, you get yourself a bulletproof vehicle. Post office fails, you get couriers. But if you're in the market, you're probably paying, I don't know, 40, 45% of your income in tax. And therefore, to get those services guaranteed and delivered to you, well, then you need to pay twice because not only do you need to pay 45% on the marginal tax rate if you are in that bracket, but you also then need to have enough spare cash to fund everything else. But what happens when Transnet fails? It's failing increasingly. It doesn't affect you directly immediately. Um, but it does big industry, does big mining and agriculture. And later on, we start to feel the effects. And I think we are beginning to feel those effects fairly directly, whether it's in the disintegrating roads, the number of trucks on the roads, or simply the cost of absolutely everything impacted by our inefficient national logistics system. This time last week, the chief executive and the CFO had announced they'd just resigned. This week, the CEO of Freight Rail also announced that they were going. So this is about why it matters who gets to run it next. Because BDO's audit partner, Siabonga Mtembu, chair of the Nelson Mandela Bay Business Chamber's Transport and Logistics Task Team, is worried about this particular fact. Because here you sit in the Eastern Cape, Siabonga. Good evening to you. Uh, Not only do you have a day job of being an audit partner, BDO, but you are also in the Nelson Mandela Bay Business Chamber. And the business chamber and businesses, a big industry in particular in that part of the world, is heavily dependent 
on those railway tracks that not only used to connect um, uh, what used to be called Port Elizabeth in East London and Cape Town and Port Elizabeth, but it also connect all the way into the hinterland, into Pretoria, where there's a lot of industry. And with the destruction of Transnet from the inside, I'm guessing you're beginning to worry about local industry quite significantly. Hi, Bruce, and uh, hi to the to the listener at home. Um, yes, I, I must say this is a, um, a worrying um, um, issue when it comes to Transnet. And I think, Bruce, just to give, give you uh, a picture of currently of the impact that we see with Transnet, um, I guess similar to ESCOM, um, what, what Transnet is going through currently is basing fail, basically failing capacity. Uh, there's been defect, maintenance, cable theft, and obviously management uh, issues, as we've seen with the number of uh, resignations um, of uh, some of the executives in the group CEO. Um, so uh, I'm just going to make an, an example where we saw in 2012 Transnet, uh, Bruce, generating about 28 billion rands in the revenues and they spent about 3.4 billion which is about 12 percent in maintenance so that has significantly decreased when you look at uh, the revenues which they generated in 30, in 2002 which was 38 billion however they spent significantly decreased 2.7 billion uh, which is about 71 uh, percent so, so okay, too, too many numbers there siabonga yeah. you're the auditor you understand numbers yeah. you dream in numbers and i'm sure you you paint by numbers as well yeah. uh, but the, the point is that, that i think you're making is that this thing has been wholly mismanaged for an awfully long time the rail network has been neglected the management teams have ch- come and gone and there is no improvement and that lack of improvement puts industry and business at risk yeah, that's, that's the thing, Bruce. That's what I was basically just trying to illustrate with the numbers, where mm. due to, to these significant decreases in maintenance, now we're seeing the Transnet being in a problem whereby its infrastructure is not operational. They're unable to basically move goods from inland to the ports and obviously from, from, from the ports to then ship it to wherever it's destined to in terms of the customers where the different uh, uh, companies in the country would be selling to. Obviously, the mining industry is significantly suffering from this as well as... Uh, uh, the automotive industry, especially here in the Eastern Cape, as we know that automotive is is is, is a, a significant part of the province economy, but also just the country's economy. It's not only Volkswagen and Utenegg, of course. I mean, for, for example, and one of my favorite examples of this weird and wonderful interconnected economy that depends on the great big arteries of rail is Ford Ranger truck engines are made, the Bucky engines, are made in England. But they're quite messy and they come with bits and pieces still sticking off them that need to be filed off and they need to be put together and put into the Ford Rangers themselves. So they get shipped all the way from England. They get dropped off at the Ngoha port. They get put onto trains. They get sent all the way up past Pretoria to Roslyn to the Ford factory there. There they get made pretty and useful and functional, get put into the Ford Rangers, which in turn are then put back onto the same trains and trained all the way back down to the Noha port for export. And it's brilliant because the economics make sense, but they only make sense if the rail lines are working. And that's the fear here, right? They may not work in perpetuity. That's, that's correct, uh, Bruce. I mean, if, 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 if that system is, is not obviously working, then it means that uh, the current e- economy, which is generated by the movement that you basically just explained, then it basically dies because, I mean, uh, no one would want to then import those parts that you're referring to into the country and then try and export them out if there's issues with regards to capacity. Um, obviously, then with other products where you see, especially with the citrus industry and, uh, like I said earlier, in the mining industry, now they're having to heavily depend 
um, on the trucks. And I think where you, you mentioned earlier on, there's now issues of uh, the road infrastructure being uh, affected, the road being destroyed, and now the government having to uh, divert funds to basically try and fix those roads. And then obviously the number of accidents that we've, we've seen uh, in the past couple of months. Horrendous. I mean, it's not just the trains, though, Siobonga. I mean, it's South Africa's other side hustle, other than corruption, is cable theft. I mean, it feels like everybody except you and me is in the business. And it's, 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 again, that is an unnecessary, consistent replacement charge because of a failure of police intelligence, a failure of policing, and and, and a failure of being able to secure those rail networks. Yeah, Bruce, I mean, that's correct. I mean, cable theft is, is now affecting everyone. Obviously, not just uh, uh, Transnet and you at high at home. I mean, ESCOM, it's one of the reasons why they're also struggling, um, which then, I mean, uh, we, we wonder why then, uh, we, we always want to blame the government, but we also just wonder why then attention is not given to this issue where we make sure that we, we will basically address it, we address it, because obviously then the trains aren't able to move uh, because of the theft, um, even if it gets fixed later on, the amount of delays then you then see uh, in terms of trying to move the trains to the port is, is significant in terms of, of the time lost. Siabonga, thank you. Siabonga Mtembu, who is not only a, BW, a BDO audit partner, uh, but he's also part of the Nelson Mandela Chamber of Commerce, Nelson Mandela Bay Chamber of Commerce. And it's this big industry there. You've just got to go on that road out of Kabacha towards the Nuha port and you get it. And, and <laughs> you also, what you see from the road is only a tiny part of it because the port is expansive um, and does a lot of work for particularly the, the vehicle industry, getting cars on, onto ships. Um, and, and getting parts into the country as well, the stuff that we don't make. And there are just factories and wonderful businesses in that part of the world, really important businesses that employ thousands of people. And as Transnet fails, and it is failing, um, those thousands of people's livelihoods are at risk. Eastern Cape is already poorest province by a country mile, cannot afford to lose what it has and needs to grow. All of these areas need to grow. So, yeah, the failure of Transnet, the implosion of Transnet, it goes beyond the headlines and whose ego's been trodden on and who's lost their job, boo-hoo. Whoever it is who gets put into that job next needs to be made of very, very stern stuff. The Money Show. The Markets. To markets, to markets, to markets we go. Tato Mashiho is with Sunlam Private Wealth. And uh, Tato, uh, an astonishingly difficult to predict week. I don't think stock markets went anywhere particular. There was a bit of a bounce, I think, on Tuesday or Wednesday. But there's been downward pressure on shares, but huge upward pressure on commodities. Is it all to do with the uncertainty that's been wrought by this war between Hamas and Israel? Good evening, Bruce. I think you're correct in saying nobody knows exactly where the direction is going to go. At one minute, it seems fairly positive, like we saw earlier in the week, a bit of risk on with the dovish Fed sentiment. But then later on this week, of course, as you've highlighted, things are not looking so great. And uh, yeah, I think the, the Gaza conflict is very, very central to that. Commodities may have something to do with the rumors of the Chinese stimulus and 
we can expect, uh, I guess, a, a bit of uh, a bit of positive sentiment in that regard. But overall, very negative on geopolitical sentiment, and also for those who are still paying attention to the long-term macroeconomics, the IMF report on their quarterly or their economic outlook was released yesterday, and that was also quite negative. So, yeah, not not much positive to look at, except for the rumours, if we want to believe those rumours on the stimulus. Rumors of the stimulus. What rumors of which stimulus? We're talking about the Chinese stimulus because, again, mm-hmm. the stuff is, is about as clear as looking through a dirty windscreen going backwards. Um, there's been huge speculation that the Chinese this weekend are going to try and kickstart their economy. There's pressure on them to resolve the massive debt burden within their property sector, which is the big problem that is looming for them. Uh, and then, of course, the continued uncertainty around the future direction of interest rates. We had the Bank of England's governor today saying, probably don't have to go high but don't expect interest rates to come down anytime soon. And the the Federal Reserve governors have been saying similar things recently. Yes, indeed. Uh, I was referring to the Chinese stimulus, and it is a rumor, but uh, in times like this, we we need positive rumors to, uh, I suppose, to keep us... uh, keep us optimistic. But uh, I think people are expecting them to, to come out with something. They are, of course, are attached to their 5% growth target for the year. And without stimulus, they may be at risk of, of missing that target. Of course, it means a bit of a higher budget deficit. They don't like budget deficits in China, but I think uh, they're probably going to have to stomach this one and uh, pump some money into, into real estate construction, but probably also into some manufacturing. So very positive for commodities if that does come up. The number which was rumored, I think around a trillion yuan or $130 billion is fairly sizable. So we can see what happens there. In terms of the the Fed and uh, the the BOE, yes, uh, I definitely um, do think they they have a a bit of a difficult task uh, ahead. Some of the Fed governors saying, well, you know, we don't have to raise rates going forward because uh, bond yields have spiked up and that's equivalent to uh, a, Fed, a Fed hike. So we can just sit and let the market do our job for us. So I'm not sure how that will work out, but um, for the moment at least, it is kind of uh, an unofficial hike, but uh, bond yields could easily reverse if there was some positive news going forward. So very, very unclear and uncertain, I think. Most certainly. Thank you, Tato Mashiho, Portfolio Manager at Sunland Private Wealth. Not much domestic news on the day. Certainly, uh, the domestic news was restricted to a, a decline to below 73,000 on the all-share index. A big sell-off happening in local retail, a big sell-off happening in anything with bees to do uh, with uh, Bidcorp and British American Tobacco and Bytes Technology did uh, see good gains, though, in platinum shares and in particular gold shares. Gold and platinum rallying strongly, possibly on uh, the rumors that uh, Tato was talking about just a moment ago, but more likely to be ahead of a weekend where we could see a land invasion by Israel of Gaza and whatever uncertainties that will bring investors sort of shoring up for what could be a, a pretty hairy weekend. Veronica Mohwadi now at half past six, standing by with Eyewitness News. 702. Bruce is on the money show. It is Friday evening, which means it's Brutal Biz Quiz Friday. Looking forward to that at about 10 to 7. It's where I get to tease, tantalize, and taunt you. That's my favorite, basically. I get to play games with you. A bit like a cat with a mouse. Um, sometimes the mouse fights back, and the cat has taught a lesson in humility and manners. Sometimes the cat has an awful lot of fun. I'll be the cat.
Let's play that game. Coming up later on, The Money Show brought to you by ABSA CIB, driving impactful action-led insights through the Insights Series. ABSA is a registered FSP. Coming up on your next Money Show, our fabulous feature would looks at how people make money in the real world. We talk to forensic pathologist Dr. Hestel van Staden, who's written a book called Blood Has a Voice. It's all about stories from the autopsy table it's a little grim, but interesting. I'll be fascinated. You will be too. And Stephen Boyke Sidley about his book on crypto, how the crypto economy is redefining ownership. That, all the top money stories, all the top business stories, all the top bond and commodity stories, and more on The Money Show. The Money Show. The Friday File. The Friday File. I think they're all the same thing. If I put a glass of tequila or a glass of mezcal or a glass of agave in front of you, they're essentially the same thing. Yes, quality will differ. Flavor profiles will differ, but it's the same stuff, I think. Sarah Kennan is the founder and the owner of Leonista. It means lion energy. Maybe it means lion person. Certainly it's lion and it's... Is it tequila or is it mezcal or is it agave? Help me here, Sarah. One and the same or are you one of those three? It's all of them. <laughs> um, but it's it's actually agave spirit. We can't call it tequila because it's not made in Mexico. We can't call it mezcal because it's not made in Mexico. Like champagne, it needs to be made in champagne to be called champagne. Same with tequila, same with mezcal. So we call it 100% agave spirit. Um, but the taste profile is closer to a mezcal than a tequila. Okay, now you're going to have to explain the difference because I think I know tequila. I don't know if I know mezcal, and I'm not too okay. sure that if I was presented with a glass of each, I'd be able to tell the difference. Is there a difference? Um, so basically, one is a little bit smokier and one is non-smoky. So tequila is non-smoky mm. flavor, mezcal is smoky flavor. And that smoky flavor comes from the production process. Uh, we use a wood-fired oven. So with tequila, it's a more sort of uh, modern, more modern way of, of making agave spirits. So a non-wood-fired oven, whereas mezcal is more traditional. And for me, uh, I think closer to the roots and more South African. Uh, it's, it's more like cooking on a braai as opposed to cooking in a kitchen oven. So yeah, it has a smoky that, flavor. That is such... Such a good descriptor. Are you a bit like the early sort of indigenous peoples of South Africa who discovered, or uh, I don't know if it was who exactly discovered that if you took a bit of rooibos and you dried it in the sun and added hot water to it, that you had a healthy drink? Um, and it was a weed, well, a naturally occurring plant growing in sort of the Cedarburg area. Do you sort of stumble across an agave plant and go, oh, hold on a second, let's see what we can do with that? Or um, was it a deliberate strategy to begin cultivating huge plantations of the stuff with the view to make your agave spirit? Um, well, luckily, the plant is used as an emergency food for animals in times of, of drought in the Karoo. So there was fields of gold, fields of opportunity waiting for me. And I went to Mexico on a surf tequila tour trip and was very inspired by my experience there, uh, tasting all the tequilas, all the mezcals, and seeing the industry and culture that was there. And I wanted to bring that culture uh, to South Africa, but using local agave. So I went and found the farmers and discovered these fields of agave ready to be taken advantage of or, or ready to harvest rather. 
and the farmers are all really happy that there's there's a an, an option for them to be able to use these plants for something other than emergency food. Uh, so that's what I'm doing. I'm starting an industry around the plant that grows very well in South Africa. Is there competition between you and the animals in a year where the the, the, the plants <laughs> are required for emergency food? Might you then be competing for the same part? Because what you go for in the agave plant, as I understand it, is the heart. Uh, there's like a bulb yeah. uh, on, the, on, on the inside of the plant. Is that the, the bit that the animals would like to have too? Uh, yes and no. I mean, actually, you cut off all the leaves and animals can eat the leaves. Uh, and then we use the heart. So we're basically taking the maybe the juiciest and sweetest part of the plant, but they still get to eat the leaves. Um, and, and yeah, there's enough for everyone, basically. And what are we talking about in terms of, of volume? Because it's all well and good producing tons of the stuff, but there are global multinational producers of tequila that spend many, many millions of dollars worldwide uh, creating brands. You've got a beautiful brand, but it's kind of, it's not on every shelf. It's not everywhere. And you would think that the competition against the, the, the players with the sort of brand presence must be very, very tough. It's very tough. And it's definitely a, a feeling of a David and Goliath experience. But I guess where we are different and unique and special is the fact that we are made from a garb grown in the Karoo. So there's that special element of the terroir of the Karoo. The, the climate, the soil, the fact that the agave grew, you know, in, in African soil and African climates, that's very unique. You wouldn't be able to repeat that anywhere else in the world, even if it was made in the exact same way. So that's definitely an element of agave spirits in that um, the consumers of agave spirits are looking for, just like with whiskey, you know, they're looking for a, a Korean whiskey or a Japanese whiskey, and that's interesting for them. Agave spirit drinkers, tequila mezcal drinkers, are really interested when there's a new mezcal or agave spirit coming from Australia or from Japan or from Timbuktu. So, yeah, that's really, I guess, a selling point in IP for us, the fact that we're made from the Karoo and that differentiates us from, from the big players and makes us unique, which uh, they can't compete against. So that's really great. Is there, an, is there enough demand in South Africa to sustain you? As of late, uh, it's really picked up, which is really wonderful. Uh, really? So, you know, you, it's a billion dollar industry in the States. And I think that influence is starting to spill over into the rest of the world and especially South Africa. I've definitely seen an improvement of the quality of agave spirits on shelves in bottle stores around South Africa. There's beautiful mezcal and tequilas on auction, whereas, you know, maybe six years ago, there were only a limited number. So, um, yeah, the, the demand is growing. And as of the last four months, we've had better sales than we've ever had. So if that carries on, we should be silent. And we should be styling um, that, that, that the surfer in you coming 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 out there, Sarah. Um, but yeah. when, when we look at the potential for export, is there an export market for you, or is it just too competitive and too difficult? And these bottles are blooming heavy, and they've got to be transported across the globe, and shipping isn't easy, and it's costly. It's definitely a huge opportunity for us. It's just about picking the right market. So we actually have footholds in five different export countries already. Uh, Nigeria, we're exporting to Japan, the Netherlands, Germany, and also the UK. But the US is basically the biggest export opportunity. And yeah, if we can 
get into the US, which we should be uh, next year, we've got an importer who's interested, then, and we can get traction, then we'll be styling even stronger than we were before. <laughs> and uh, we'll be doing very well. And, and yeah, the, the category is so big in the States that if we can just get a small piece of it, uh, we'll become very successful. Yeah, and that's the joy of it, isn't it? Is It's getting into these markets and finding a segment within those markets that you can properly exploit. From a price point, I mean, the guys at Scully Cider, for example, 100% grown and made in Elgin in the middle of apple country, couldn't compete with Distel and certainly wouldn't be able to compete with Heineken, which now owns Distel. And so now Scully Cider mm. is still made in Elgin and exported all the way to the UK and distributed almost exclusively in the UK and is making good traction in the UK where cider sells at a much higher price point than, for example, they couldn't compete against the, the savannas and the hunters of, of the world. How do you compare on price point um, relative to, to, to the imports? Um, so in South Africa, we are priced, I guess, similar to a craft gin. Uh, so we are more, we're kind of middle range. So we're not as expensive as Plaza Zoo or these super premiums. Uh, we wanted it to be as accessible as possible to, to the clientele. Um, so we are middle of the range. So there's Alchemador and the other mixed stores, which are really cheap, but really not good. Um, but the 100% agave so quality tequilas and, and mezcals, we are sort of middle range. Um, and in terms of exports, we again would be middle range. So there's the sort of lower quality, higher volume uh, products, which can sell for 25 to 35 uh, US dollars, but we would be in the more uh, 45 to 60 US dollars. And then the super premium is the 70 to 120 US dollars. Sip or slam, what is the correct etiquette with Leonista? Because uh, anybody who was, you know, who remembers the days of long nights with tequila, there's salt, there's lemon or lime, and there's a bottle of spirit in front of you until you fall over. Um, with Leonista, I, I see you win awards for the sipping awards. You, you, you pursue a more genteel approach to the art of tequila. The company logo. I am not sure. Again, I've, I've lost, uh, I've unfortunately lost Sarah Kennan, the founder and owner of a fabulous brand. And it's beautiful. Leonista of the Karoo. Um, we have lost her. Yes, we have lost her very sadly. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a glorious branding. And I just love the branding of so many South African products. And there is a common thread that goes through them. There's enormous creativity. There's a, a real sense of art in the branding in, in these, in these uh, different, uh, in these different products. And Leonista is one of those. You look at the Boss Tea branding and the, you just, we've got some really good branding people in the country and um, taking some local product and taking it into a massively competitive global environment and not sitting back not taking prisoners and just going, actually, we've got a good product here. It needs to look good to stand out and we need to be able to promote it and, and market it. Get that right. We'll, we'll sell the stuff and um, certainly not holding back one little bit.
time for the Brutal Biz Quiz, which is that time on the week and of a Friday evening where I have a list of prepared questions, some of them more devious than others, some absolutely clear. If you've been listening to the show this week and you've been listening with diligence and taking notes, <laughs> or at least remembering things, um, you will have no problem. However, if you have been negligent, if you have not been paying attention, then you will be exposed. But we don't judge. We like the fun. It's a good fun thing to do on a Friday night. Brings you up to speed with everything that is important, trivial, and fun. So the Brutal Biz Quiz this Friday night. Let us kick it off with this question. South Africa has got 62 million watt. Not 62 million watts. I think we've got about three watts. Um, 62 million watt does South Africa have? That is the question. First question on this evening's Brutal Biz Quiz on a Friday night. So it requires you to give us a call. It requires you to come and play. It requires you to be a participant in the fun and the frivolity and the feisty interactions that can happen in the Brutal Biz Quiz on a Friday night. It does need you to call 021-446-0567-011-883-0702. South Africa has 62 million watt on this Friday 13th edition of The Money Show. Bruce Whitfield on The Money Show. 6 to 8 p.m. The Money Show brought to you by ABSA CIB, driving impactful action-led insights through the Insight Series. ABSA is a registered FSP. Welcome to The Money Show. Lots of you wanting to play. Please don't go away because I'm bound to catch somebody out sooner or later. Uh, let's try Samantha and Bononi, who was through first this evening. Samantha, South Africa's got 62 million watts. Set off. 62 million people, according to the census. Six, 62 million people, absolutely right. The census revealing a 20% increase in the number of people. Unfortunately, the economy only growing at 10%. So per head, we're getting poorer. Um, Crocs. Crocs are those incredibly stylish, very comfortable shoes. Um, some people call it Sober October. Other people call it Croctober, particularly the people at Crocs. They celebrated by combining Crocs with which other very popular cowboy shoe? Oh, goodness me. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you for playing. Uh, call it, uh, call it in Bryanston. Uh, Crocs combined with what will help you do silent line dancing, I wonder. Call it. Hi, Bruce, and I can't think of the name, but it is Crocs combined with Docs, if I'm not mistaken, but I can't think of the actual name. It's, it's not even that creative, I'm afraid. It's not even that complicated. I've given clues, Paul in Kempton Park. I don't know if you're a line dancer on the weekends, but you may be. Um, Crocs have been combined with what to celebrate Croctober? With Crocodile, with crocodiles, no. Um, the look is of like lizard skin, as these this footwear is wont to be. Gerho uh, in Pretoria. Um, if you were going line dancing, you would wear a particular kind of footwear. That this particular kind of footwear is being combined with Crocs to make Croctober something never to forget, or in some cases, some people will never want to remember it. But what have they combined the look of the Croc with? Oh, my goodness. Why did I get this question? I can't think of it, but I'm just going to just give it a guess and say boots. Which boots? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> Crocs. 
you're going to kick yourself, Kejo. You're going to kick yourself. They're not desert boots. They're not mining boots. They're not steel toe cap boots. They're not gaucho boots. What kind of boots would you be wearing to go line dancing? I mean, really? How hard is this? I mean, I've not ever been line dancing. I don't have the cords, even though it's the easiest kind of dancing in the world to do, I'm told. Please don't tell me that I'm going to get you this early. I've got a much more higher grade question to torture you with. Uh, Lona, and I think it's Germiston. Hello, good good evening, Bruce. It's actually Lorna. I'm just wondering if okay. your answer could possibly be cowboy boot. It is absolutely cowboy boots. It is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. I'm a big fan of Crocs. I have Croc flip-flops. And I've even in the past had Crocs. And my kids are swimmers and they wear Crocs because that's like swimming uniform. Um, But yes, they've combined Crocs with the look of a cowboy boot. It's not as bad as when they did KFC chicken scented Crocs in 2020. But yes, I mean, oh my goodness gracious me. But yes, they've got Crocs that look like cowboy boots. Now, John Fairburn arrived in South Africa this week, 200 years ago. John Fairburn was a journalist. John Fairburn was instrumental in ending the slave trade in South Africa. He also created an enterprise which operates out of Pinelands in Cape Town to this day. What is the name of that business? Oh, you've absolutely got me there. Oh, I'm so sorry, Bruce. No, 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 no. I love how people apologize to me. (laughs) No, don't apologize to me. Apologize to your friends and family. Um, No, we can't do Call It in Bryanston again, uh, producers. We've got other calls coming through. Or do I claim victory on this one? I think I should claim victory because this is a good question. This is a good question. Uh, John Fairburn, not Jonathan Fairburn, not him, because <laughs> let's not talk about Jonathan. Uh, but John Fairburn, Scott, didn't like whiskey, didn't like booze, didn't like much fun, it would seem, created a business after his arrival in South Africa that operates to this day. It's one of South Africa's oldest listed businesses on the JSE. Um, and it still functions to this day. He started it because he was worried about poor people. He was worried about poor people losing their jobs, losing their incomes, and he thought, wouldn't it be nice that they should have some sense of protection. But my producers are deciding not to put you up. That's very sad. Because coming up next is the best bits of the money show, which makes me victorious, by the way. And I need to tell you that the business he started was Old Mutual. Well, it was a precursor to Old Mutual. But yeah, John Fairburn arrived in South Africa 200 years ago this week um, and set up the Mutual Life Assurance Society of the Cape of Good Hope. That was in 1845. He had zero capital. He just got people together in like a, a Stockfell environment. And today that Stockfell is the mighty old mutual. That's it for this hour of The Money Show. Coming up next, the best bits, including a discussion around uh, around the way, why we behave the way we do when it comes to money, fear, loss aversion. Uh, and also this evening, we're going to be hearing about Warren Ingram and his discussion about why we should not fear what's going on in the world right now and keep on keeping on. It's all a theme in tonight's best bits. That's coming up next.